it's good to see each of you here today. I uh, hope that uh, you had a uh, happy Thanksgiving uh, and that uh, the Lord is blessing you each and every day. And so just uh, hope that you'll pray for our services this morning. Uh, as those of you that have been here or maybe been listening in on Facebook Live uh, know we've been talking about some things and going over the, uh, and studying the book of Romans and the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Uh, and we've, uh, in a, I, I have been enjoying it. I hope that uh, you've been enjoying it as well and that the Lord would bless us here today. Uh, we finished up some things last time uh, through the 10th chapter of the book of Romans and uh, we'll try to begin today uh, looking at some things that we find in the 11th chapter of the book of Romans. But uh, just to kind of, as I've done in the past, uh, as we've kind of gone through this, I recognize a couple different things. One, uh, you know, you you may or may not remember every Sunday, from Sunday to Sunday, the things that I've talked about. Some of you are not here every Sunday. Uh, so I try to go back and kind of look at some of these things again uh, quickly, I trust, this morning as we'll try to scan back across some things as we get to the 11th chapter. But in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, as, as the Apostle Paul is finishing that letter, uh, and those of you that are familiar with the uh, writings of the, uh, the Apostle Paul, especially that 8th chapter, uh, know that uh, one of the things that, uh, that Paul finished with there, uh, when he first talked about uh, earlier in this chapter, uh, talking about whom he did foreknow, them he did also predestinate, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, whom he called, he justified, whom he justified, them he also glorified. Then he asked the question, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? As he goes on down through that uh, eighth chapter, he finishes it up by saying, uh, by saying this, uh, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the, these principles laid out here, first of all, the fact that God foreknew a people, that he predestinated those people to be uh, conformed to the image of his Son, uh, that those that he predestinated he also called, those that he called are also those that he justified and also those that he glorified. And so he's talking about the fact that those, the, the people that God foreknew and chose in Christ before the foundation of the world, those people, he said, cannot be separated from the love of God. There's nothing that can separate them from God's love. And then he gets into this ninth chapter of the book of Romans and then begins to talk about the fact that his heart's desire and prayer to God, uh, that, that, uh, one, first of all, I, I'm getting over to chapter 10, but uh, in chapter 9 he makes the comment, he could desire that he would be accursed for his kinsmen, for his brethren according to the flesh, uh, and the reason that he's concerned about them is not the fact that he's concerned about their eternal destiny. He's already stated in the 8th chapter, he's con convinced that those that are chosen and, and loved of God uh, are going to be eternally uh, safe and secure in Christ Jesus. But he, he does have a concern, the fact that these people do not recognize that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has come. And uh, uh, as, he, as he gets down into this, he makes the comment that they're not all Israel that are of Israel. So he's not talking about national Israel. We A lot of times we'll look at the scriptures and read things like that and think, oh, well, he's talking about uh, the nation Israel that we see over 
over in the Middle East today. No, uh, he's not. He redefines who Israel is for us right here in this ninth chapter of the book of Romans. And he says, uh, They're not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But he says, But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And he, then he, uh, uh, if, uh, uh, as we mentioned here several weeks ago, Isaac was the promised child. Uh, he was the one uh, that God had told Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a child, and he promised it to them. And even though they got past the age of being able by nature to have children, God intervened directly himself uh, in, in Sarah and also into Abraham to enable them to have a child. And so the, le the lesson of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac was the fact that Isaac was a child that came into being because of the sovereign work of God. And uh, he says, we, if we turn over to Galatians, we find over there, he says, we like Isaac are children of the promise. We, as God's children, uh, part of this Israel here, which are not uh, Israel after the flesh, uh, not born of the seed of Abraham, uh, but promised children of God uh, through the sovereign work of the uh, Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we then are promised children like him. And I will tell you, uh, Brother Derek mentioned it this morning as we were talking in our Bible study. The promises of God are, are in him, yea, and in him, Amen. So the promises of God are sure. That's what that that's what that scripture's trying to tell us. When God promises something, you can write it down somewhere if you want to, or if you don't write it down, it doesn't matter. It's still going to come true because God said it was going to happen. And uh, so His promises, uh, this promised child, uh, Isaac was a promised child, but you, as a child of God, are also a promised child. So when we read these things, he tells us, and he goes on and says, uh, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham, verse 7 of Romans 9, uh, are, they, are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed called, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for seed. So it's the promised children. And uh, he promised uh, uh, Abraham back over there uh, years ago, he says, thy seed will be like the, the sands of the sea and like the stars of the sky, innumerable. <coughs> he promised that to him. And we could say by nature, yes, he had many uh, children, uh, both, from, uh, both through Ishmael and through Isaac, but he also had uh, a promised children that was going to be children of faith. And that's, that's what uh, this whole lesson here in, uh, in the book of Romans is talking about, following after Christ in faith, that the Gentiles had been pro uh, who had found, who had done, completed and done the things of the law according to the laws that were written on their hearts and in their minds, uh, these uh, were also children of promise just like Isaac was. And so he says, then he goes on and teaches us the, le the uh, lesson of election, how God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau, uh, that God's purpose according to election might stand. Uh, and so he continues to show that God makes a choice. 
Uh, God makes a choice, and what God chooses, my friends, it's sure, for one, and it's right. <laughs> you don't have to worry about God making a bad choice. Uh, God, uh, what God ever, whatever God does, it's right, it's just, it's fair. Uh, a lot of people look and say it's not, well, that doesn't seem fair to me. Well, you know what? I'm glad you and I are not in charge of fairness. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that you and I are not in charge of fairness in this world because there'd be a lot of things smoked and burned up if Charles was in charge, okay? Okay? Uh, but I thank God for God's mercy and for his love and his grace in our lives uh, and his grace and his mercy in loving the people uh, before the foundation of the world, choosing them in Christ Jesus uh, and, uh, and through election uh, bringing these things to pass. So uh, as he gets on over in this uh, ninth chapter and is before we get into the tenth, uh, he then makes the comment uh, uh, that uh, Israel, which had... Uh, uh, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, verse 31, uh, he says, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. I probably wouldn't be re going back over all these things, but these things are important as we get into 11. <laughs> okay? And uh, election is important. Uh, God's everlasting love, his sovereignty in choosing us that we cannot be separated from his love. That's important. Uh, it's also important to recognize uh, that Israel, they sought to attain their own righteousness by doing the law. And he says, uh, and because of that, they have not attained to the righteousness which they sought. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, verse 32, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. And we, gave, uh, we went back and looked in, in the previous, uh, some of the previous teachings here. That stumbling stone, the Bible tells us, is Christ. Uh, for, it is, for as it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. I, 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 I want to mention, I guess, this for just a moment. Uh, Brother Derek pointed out something to me after last Sunday's message, and I thought, he says, I just knew, Brother Charles, you were going to mention this. Uh, and uh, he told me what it was, and I said, well... You're right. I sure wish I'd have thought of that, <laughs> and uh, and it didn't and it didn't come to my mind. But part of the problem that the Apostle Paul is dressing here with these Jews that are at the church at Rome, they're one. They're trying to follow after the law or trying to do some mixing of law and grace together. They're not understanding why they're trying to put this onto the Gentiles and saying, Gentiles, you need to be following after the law as well, as well as following after Christ. And they were trying to still work out their own righteousness by the works of the law and trying to also force this over on the Gentiles. And Paul is telling them, you are, you are trying to do it by the works of the law. And he said, instead of following after the things of faith, which God has written in our hearts and in our minds. And he says, because of that, you're missing the fact that your salvation is through, the, through Jesus Christ. That rock uh, has become a stumbling stone to you because you're, you're putting him in lower importance than the law. You're saying the law is more important than Jesus Christ. And that is, and when you and I, my friends, began to try to say there's something more important in, in our service to God than Jesus Christ, we're missing the, we're missing the boat. <laughs> and they were missing the boat uh, here, if you will. And, uh, and the Apostle Paul tells them, uh, he says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. He goes right on down into this 10th chapter uh, and begins uh, uh, to talk about the fact, uh, he says, 
my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For he said, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge. And they going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness which is of God. And so he says, uh, uh, and to do this, he says, uh, one is to bring Christ down from above, the other one is to bring him up from the dead, saying somehow Christ was not the fullness of what they needed. And he goes on and says, but if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus. Now, uh, I think I mentioned this a couple of Sundays ago, uh, but uh, you know, a lot of times we'll read today. People have their Roman roadmap to Romans roadmap to heaven. You know, if you'll just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, uh, you'll be saved, and uh, that's all you need to do. Well, that 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 sounds really good, but again, you're missing out on an important piece here. You're missing you're you're missing out on the finished work of of Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ. At Calvary, that's so. That is that is the essence of everything. And so uh, he tells us here what he's trying to tell these these people, these Jews here at this point in time. He says, "You, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you've had His laws written in your hearts and on your mind." What you need to do is publicly profess that. Get off of this thing about the law and publicly profess that Jesus Christ is the, is the Savior. And he says, If thou shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, and thou shalt be saved. For with the heart... and you, Whenever we see that word saved in the Bible, let me admonish each and every one of you. Ask yourselves a couple of questions. Uh, when you see the word saved and salvation, uh, ask the question, uh, saved from what? Uh, save to what, uh, and and then you'll you'll begin to understand that word is a deliverance uh, that we stand in need of. Uh, so he says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. He made comment, if we go back to that ninth chapter again, just turn backwards with me for a moment. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. We are not to be ashamed of our Savior. And part of the way we show we're not ashamed of our Savior is by confessing Him with our mouth and believing in Him in our heart and believing that He is the Savior of Saviors, that He's the only one. And, uh, and Brother Derek told me here last Sunday, he says, Oh, Brother Charles, I just knew you were going to mention uh, how Paul starts out this letter. And I thought, Ooh, I didn't even think about it. Think about what we've talked about here over time, how Paul has continually made point after point after point. He started writing this letter. He had a point with this letter that he wanted to make to the, those at Rome. And he has a point with this letter that he wants to make with me and you today. Uh, and, uh, and so we need to get the lesson of the letter um, and learn what Paul wanted the church at Rome to learn, uh, but also apply it in our lives. Uh, okay, so uh, having said all that, now I'm going to go back and tell you uh, and read to you. Let's go back to the first chapter of the book of Romans. Uh, and he says, uh, and he said this. Uh, he says, uh, I'm a debtor, verse 14, uh, uh, to both the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you at Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
Paul started out his letter saying, I'm not ashamed. You're ashamed because you stumbled at the stumbling stone. And he says, uh, now he says, what you need to do is confess with your mouth. God has written his laws in your heart, in your heart and on your mind. Uh, he says, now you need to profess it so that you'll be saved from what? Saved from being ashamed. God doesn't want his people to be ashamed. And uh, you say, well, Brother Charles, I'm not ashamed of my Savior. Uh, do you go around telling people that you're, that you're uh, uh, and I'm not saying we need to just like walk around and say, hey, I just want you to know. I saw you on the street today. I thought I'd let you know I'm a sinner, and I've been ashamed of, and I'm ashamed of that. But I've got a Savior, and I'm not ashamed of Him. I'm not saying we need to go around doing that. But I'll tell you what: it sure doesn't hurt for people to know when they're talking to you. So you know what? I've got a Savior, and I'm not ashamed of Him. I'm not ashamed to profess that I need a Savior. And I'm not ashamed to say uh, that there was a man came some 2,000 years ago to Jerusalem that died on the cross. Uh, and he's my Savior. Uh, and I needed a Savior. Uh, and so uh, the Apostle Paul goes on and uh, writing to these people here uh, at this church, uh, church at Rome and telling them, uh, don't be ashamed for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord is over all, is rich into all that call upon him. Uh, uh, they're on the same playing field. Uh, he's been trying to tell them that throughout this whole letter. Uh, you Jews uh, who think you're so good uh, because you had the law. Uh, you had all the practices. God delivered you out of, out of Egypt. Uh, you think somehow you're better than these Gentiles that are in the church uh, here with you. And I'm telling you uh, uh, that God has written his laws in your hearts and on your minds. Uh, and if you'll call on him, uh, you'll be saved from being ashamed for God is rich to all those that call upon him, whether it's Jew or whether it's Gentile. It makes no difference. The God is the same to all. And I'll tell you today, uh, and I've mentioned this in times past, uh, but as I look out on this congregation this morning, or maybe those that might be listening, uh, we need to be reminded uh, God is rich to all. It uh, doesn't matter black or white. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, uh, yellow or red, uh, whatever other colors you want to come out. It doesn't matter if they're Chinese or African or Indian uh, or uh, wherever they might be from. Uh, God is rich to all that call upon him, my friends. Uh, and, uh, and we need to be uh, uh, reconciled to that in our hearts and our minds because it's true. Uh, and so he goes on and begins to teach. Uh, there was an error that was being taught here. They were, con they were thinking uh, that the only way uh, uh, that, uh, that people could hear uh, and believe and confess and so forth is they needed to hear the preacher preach. There's those today that believe that too. Uh, that uh, unless you hear the gospel and uh, confess to the gospel, uh, there are even those that believe that uh, uh, God has predestinated and elected a people, uh, and their their twist on predestination and election is uh, they're all going to hear the gospel, they're all going to believe, and they're all going to confess. Uh, I don't believe that's what the scripture teaches. In fact. I'm going to use this chapter, the next chapter we're about to get into, to prove that point to you, that they're not all going to believe and that they're not all going to confess. Uh, but it doesn't mean that God didn't save them, okay? And so uh, uh, as he goes through this, there were those that were saying, uh, uh, <clears throat> how shall they call upon him whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe on him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without the preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all believed uh, the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? 
Even in Isaiah's day, there were those that Isaiah was proclaiming things to, and they were saying, all of them didn't believe Isaiah's report. Isaiah was telling them, the time's coming where you're going to go into captivity. And they didn't believe him. Uh, and he says, uh, Isaiah said, so then he says in verse 17, and this is a scripture again. If you don't realize there's a dialogue going on here in this letter between Paul and those at the church at Rome, you say, well, well, he's not actually talking to them. Nobody was in a letter form. He was answering some of the questions that they had. And he says, uh, so then verse 17 then says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and a lot of people take that scripture right there today and say well your faith comes by hearing well uh, my friends I want to tell you your faith comes by the written work of God in your heart and in your mind uh, when he borns you again of the Spirit of God. God gives you faith. Uh, it's a fruit of the Spirit according to Galatians 5.22. You can go read that if you'd like. Uh, but he says, they were saying, uh, so then they had, they had the idea that uh, how could they hear without the preacher? Well, there are people that, uh, that are touched in their hearts and their minds without the preacher ever getting to them. Okay? There are people that have God's laws written on their hearts and on their minds. Uh, you know, I could give you, I could give you one example. Uh, and, and somebody said, well, Paul might have heard a preacher somewhere along the way. Well, he might have. But you know what? The Scripture doesn't back that up. Uh, we know that he went up to Ananias after God had already spoke to him on the road to Damascus and stopped him and turned him around. And we know then he went and heard a preacher. Uh, but we have no evidence in Scripture uh, uh, that he was uh, uh, hearing someone uh, uh, before that time. Well, now you say, well, he was there when Stephen was stoned. Yeah, and he was consenting to his death too. He was, he was satisfied to see Stephen stoned to death that day uh, uh, in his hard and impenitent heart that he had at that time, I believe. Uh, and so uh, as we go on through this, uh, this portion of Scripture, he says, uh, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Verse 18, But I say unto thee, uh, but I say, have they not all heard? Paul was arguing from the point, and we read this last week in, in Psalm 19. Uh, he says, the stars speak to you. The, the plants speak to you. Creation speaks to you. Have they not all heard and seen God in creation? I'll tell you, that's a clear condemnation today. Uh, if you want to look at, uh, at people today uh, uh, that say uh, uh, one uh, that uh, about uh, evolution and those types of things, uh, uh, but also uh, whether it's to the things of global warming and other things, when people are saying all these things that they say, and he says, can't you look? Can't you look at the stars and the sky and the sun and the moon and the seasons as they come and go uh, for the biologist in the group? Uh, can't you look at the microscopic uh, composition of our cells and the way a body works and see that there's a creator, that there's a God? Can you not do that? And I think they can. They just deny it. I'll tell you, uh, I, we, were, we were talking this week, uh, you know, with Thanksgiving meals and all that kind of stuff, and I, I told my wife, I said, you know, uh, we, were, we were standing around, and I said, isn't it amazing? I, and, you know, uh, I said, we sit down and we eat a meal, you know, got the dressing, got the, got the ham, got the turkey, got the whatever, and I said, you put it in your mouth, you chew it up, it goes down in your stomach, and your stomach takes it and converts it into energy, I mean, basically, it, it goes in, it converts it into energy that runs the body. I said, 
<clears throat> just like, just like, you know, maybe, maybe a little crude, but anyway, uh, hopefully not too crude. Uh, so, you know, you go out and you, you take logs, like when we had to cook out over at the house, you take logs, you put them on the fire, uh, and it gives off heat. And the, and the waste uh, is ashes when it's all over with, and what's left over, you got ashes there and so forth. So you eat, uh, and, you, and your body turns part of it to energy, part of it goes to waste. Uh, what's not used is turned over to something else. Uh, and so uh, he tells us all of this, how, how did... You think the body, this thing, this complex energy and mind and structure and your skeleton and your nerves and all of this stuff that make it just happened to come about? You'd you'd have to be you'd have to be almost a little bit mental to try to come up with an idea that somehow or another this all started with a sale somewhere or another and it just slowly, 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 slowly worked. It'd be like us looking out here at the planets and saying, Well, there was a big explosion out there and they just all arranged themselves and all of them decided to roll around this and do I mean, you know, you really you gotta be anyway. So he tells us, have they not all heard? Have they not all seen? Verily their sound went into the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I say, again Paul, but I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy with them that are no people, and by a foolish nation will I anger you. We can go back and look again this morning. Deuteronomy 32. Moses had already prophesied that God was going to provoke Israel to to. Uh, jealousy by a people that was not a people, uh, more or less. And, and he goes on and says, And Isaiah, or Isaiah was very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. Uh, so you're, say, you're saying, uh, don't they all need to hear the preacher? And doesn't faith come by hearing? And I'm telling you, haven't they all heard? And not only that, they were found, God was found by a people that was not a people by people that didn't seek after him. You want to go read that? Turn over to Isaiah chapter 65, read verses 1 and 2, and you can read there what, uh, uh, what Paul is talking about here in these last two verses. But Isaiah was very bold, and he says, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. So when you say, uh, uh, when people say even today, you've got to hear, you've got to believe. Uh, uh, Isaiah and, and Paul said, uh, and by the way, I'll just throw this out for you. Would you rather be standing today with those that say that they say, or would you rather be standing with Isaiah and Paul? You know, when it comes to my beliefs, I'd rather be having Paul and Isaiah over here on my side than all the they says, okay? The they says, they say this and they say that. But you know what? Paul says and Isaiah says, I was found of them that sought me not. They weren't even thinking about God. Just like Paul on that road to Damascus. He wasn't seeking God. Just like Jacob when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. And God found him that night in a waste howling wilderness. And laying his head down on a rock when he saw the angels and ascending and descending on that ladder between heaven. God found Jacob. Jacob didn't find God. Uh, so he says, uh, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest to them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all the day long I stretch forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Israel was rebellious from the beginning. Uh, and, we, and Brother Derek talked about that a little bit this morning in the Bible study here. We, we were talking about the fact 
that I, uh, from the very beginning, Israel, as soon as they came out of the land of Egypt, it didn't take them long to begin to reject the things of God and, uh, and be disobedient and rebellious to him. And that's the reason they ended up spending 40 years in the wilderness. Okay, chapter 11. See, y'all, I, did get, I did get to chapter 11. Y'all, y'all weren't sure, right? Okay, chapter 11. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. Uh, so again, Paul says in the strongest words possible, uh, when, they, when the question now comes up, has God cast away his people? Uh, well, we need to know who his people are, right? Uh, a lot of people read that and automatically say, well, his people is the nation Israel. Well, Israel has already been redefined over there in the ninth chapter. His people are a people out of every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe on the face of the earth. The promised seed. The promised children. So he says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. Now, he's he's tying this, and you've got to understand, he ties this somewhat to Israel because Israel is the ones that Paul is addressing. The Jewish people that that are born again of the Spirit of God. Uh, that are not believing in Christ, that's who Paul's writing in these chapters 9, 10, and 11. That's who he is particularly addressing at the church at Rome. And so he says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. If God had cast off his people, and I'm going to use this word like this, if God had cast off his people completely, then Paul himself is an example that it's not true. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the point he's trying to make here. He says, uh, I have God cast away his people, God forbid, for I am also, an, uh, also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. That's what he said. God has not cast away his people which he foreknew. What or know ye? Know ye not what the scripture saith of Elias? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. Now, I'm, I'm not going to go back. I thought maybe I might go back over to 1 Kings this morning, but I'm just going to quickly uh, remind you of the lesson of 1 Kings. Uh, uh, over in 1 Kings 18, uh, you have the place where Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove. And Elijah, by the way, we need to understand this, Elijah was a prophet to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was the kingdom that was the part of Israel that had rebelled uh, after the death of Solomon. Uh, Solomon had a son whose name was Rehoboam, and Rehoboam uh, decided that he was going to make it twice as hard on the on the children of Israel. Uh, he, he was listening. You know, you, that's one of those lessons I love to go and tell uh, because it's a great lesson in the Bible, and it's a good lesson for all of you out there. But you young folks, listen, okay? Uh, after Solomon died, he left his kingdom. Uh, his kingdom was left to his son, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam went and sought advice from, uh, from the older men, uh, the, the ones that had advised Solomon. And they said, Solomon was kind of tough on, on the people. What you need to do is kind of let up on them a little bit, not be so hard, not be so tough. Uh, and, uh, and, and the people will love you and they will follow you and they will be obedient to you. You just be good to them, be honest with them and so forth. You know, all the advice the older men gave to this, this young man that was now king. Well, 
that sounded okay, but he decided he'd go listen to his friends. Uh, those that were about his age. And so he went and sought their counsel. And their counsel was, you know what? You need to to get after these people of Israel and you need to make them think that your father was the kindest man that ever lived. You need to be so hard, so mean, so tough that they'll almost long for the days of Solomon compared to you. Well, guess whose advice Rehoboam took? He took, the, he took the one of his peers. And, I, and the lesson in that is a lot of times we listen to our peers when we need to be listening to the older folks. <laughs> and, that, and that's whether when I was young or when you were young or whether some of y'all are young now, you need to be listening to the counsel of those that have been down the road before, okay? Uh, but Rehoboam took the advice of his friends, and guess what happened? The northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes totally revolted against his rule and they went off with a, uh, one of the servant's sons, Jeroboam. And they followed after Jeroboam. And, and Jeroboam established a, a new place. He didn't want them to go back down to Jerusalem to worship from the northern kingdom. Uh, so he established cities in the northern kingdom where they could go and worship. And then he also instituted Baal worship. Now then, turn the clock down a, a couple of hundred years uh, and you get to this place uh, uh, where the Assyrians are attacking and so forth. But uh, you get to the place uh, in a hundred years or more, you get to the time where Elijah is now a prophet just to the northern kingdom. You know what? You want to talk about the mercy and grace of God? Even though the northern tribes had totally revolted against uh, 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 worshiping God and worshiping at Jerusalem as was commanded in those days, God continued to send prophets to them. Calling them back, calling them back to service. Elijah was sent to them. Obadiah was sent to them. And as we'll find out, there were others that were sent to them. Many prophets that were sent to the northern tribes. Well, okay, in the 18th, 19th chapters, Elijah has a confrontation with the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove. The there had been no rain because of the decree of Elijah. There had been no rain in the northern in the northern kingdoms in Israel for three and a half years. And the king was sending all over the land. Uh, he was sending all over the place uh, uh, looking for Elijah and trying to find Elijah. Where's Elijah at? Uh, well, Elijah, Elijah had first of all gone uh, uh, to one place uh, uh, down by the by stream where God maintained him there uh, uh, by, the, uh, uh, by the feeding of the, uh, of the buzzards, if you will, uh, and the feeding of the fish from the stream and the water from the stream. But when the water in the stream after three and a before the three and a half years were finished, the water in the stream eventually dried up and God sent Elijah to a widow woman's house down, the widow of Sarepta as she's called. And there, if you remember the lesson, God maintained Elijah and that widow woman and her son for, for however long the time was uh, through, the, through the fact that her cruise of oil and her little barrel of meal never failed the whole time. And, and I, I love that story too because I can imagine. Uh, can you imagine every day, or maybe I should put it like, can you imagine going to bed every night and your cabinets are bare, no food, there's no water in the sink, uh, there's no water at the tap or whatever, but every morning when you got up, there was just enough food in that cabinet for today 
and just enough water on the tap to get you through. And that's kind of the way it was during those days. Uh, God gave them daily the things they stood in need of. He kept maintaining the crews of oil and the barrel of meal. There was just enough there every day. Okay, so this goes on till the three and a half years are up. Finally, Elijah comes out and confronts the king uh, and confronts the uh, the prophets of Baal and of the grove uh, and gives them a little challenge and you remember uh, how they uh, they piled up their uh, the the firewood there and uh, and 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 Elijah challenged them to call upon their god to bring down fire and burn up the altar uh, and they cried and they cried and they cried all day long the bible says and Elijah mocked him and says, uh, maybe he's gone to sleep. Maybe he's gone off into a far country. Maybe you need to cry louder to your God. Uh, but uh, nothing ever happened. The more they cried, finally Elijah comes out and he gets them to take uh, barrels of water and pour upon the wood and wet it down and get it soaking wet. And they dug a trench around the altar so that the water was, uh, that ran off was right there around the wood. Then God, then Elijah goes out and calls upon Jehovah God, the one true and living God. And fire comes down from heaven and not only burns up the, the altar, but also laps up all the water that's around the altar. And then Elijah, in the might of God, chases the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove down to the creek down below Mount Carmel. And he cuts off their heads and kills them there. And then after this, uh, you go back over and begin to read, then the queen of the land, uh, Jezebel, uh, begins to make threats against uh, Elijah and says, I'm going to find Elijah and I'm going to take him and have him killed. Well, you would think, I mean, this, this is the story of the Christian life almost. Elijah has seen God maintain him and feed him for three and a half years. Uh, he's seen God... Uh, rain down fire from heaven and he's seen God give him the might and the power to kill the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove and as soon as this queen threatens to take his life, Elijah runs off in fear down into the wilderness and hides in a cave and uh, begins to pine and moan, you know, to God about what, to, uh, you know, I'm the only one left. Uh, there's nobody else seeking to please God uh, and follow after uh, uh, God but me. And God has to reveal to him, he says, Elijah, I have 7,000 that have not bowed their knees to Baal that you know nothing about. And, and, and so, so having told the story, okay, of how this all comes to pass, I, I want you to think about this. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Rome. He's telling them uh, that God has an elect people. Uh, he's also telling them that they're, they're out of every kindred nation and tongue. They're both Jews and Gentiles. Uh, uh, and, and that he's not cast off his people that he foreknew. Uh, and the people are sitting there and saying, Yes, but we're not seeing uh, the, Jew, uh, the, the Jewish brethren. We're not seeing them coming and worshiping Christ. Paul has an answer for them. And here's, here's, the, here's what he says. Uh, he says, uh, God hath not cast away his people. Verse 2, uh, which he foreknew. Know ye not what the scripture saith to Elias or Elijah? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed thy prophets. They've digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved unto myself 7,000 men who have not bowed down the knee to the image of Baal 
Even so at this present time also there's a remnant according to the election of grace. Now let's talk about these 7,000 that had not bowed down their knee to the image of Baal for just a minute. Obviously, Elijah didn't know anything about them. And, the, and I have you, you can go back over there and read in the book of 1 Kings. There's nothing going forward after God mentions this to Elijah down there in the, that cave in the wilderness. There's no record of the 7,000 seeking out Elijah. They never went and said, oh, we need to go find Elijah. Elijah never went and sought them out. So God had 7,000 people that, had, that because of what God had written in their hearts and written on their minds refused to bow their knee to Baal. But it wasn't like they were allegiant followers of Elijah or they, they were allegiant followers of, uh, of Jehovah God. God just informed Elijah, I've got 7,000 that you don't know anything about that have never bowed their knee to Baal and, uh, and that's all that's ever mentioned of them in the Word of God <laughs> until you get over here to the New Testament. And Paul brings them the same 7,000 up and says, uh, uh, just like in the days of Elijah, God still has people reserved to him that you know nothing about, uh, that have not submitted, I'll say today, they've not submitted themselves to Satan. They've not submitted themselves to the wiles of the world. Uh, they, they are serving God and trying to do what's right in their heart, even though they may not show up on, in church on Sunday, and even though they may not ever confess or profess or publicly profess that they know the Lord, God still has people reserved to Him. He says, even so at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace then it's no more works. All you people that are over here in the 10th chapter saying, you've got to hear, you've got to believe, faith comes by hearing. Uh, he says, I'm telling you, if it's by grace, these 7,000, and those even so those that God has today in that day and in today's day, if it's by grace, then it's no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. He teaches us a lesson here about grace and how grace works, if you will. That uh, grace, my friends, is totally the sovereign work of God and it has nothing to do with you and me. So when we read that salvation is by grace in Ephesians chapter 2 and other places, uh, he's telling us it's totally the work of God and not your works. Uh, he could, we, could, we could read the same lesson if we turn over to the book of Titus uh, uh, in chapter 1 uh, where he takes, talks about the fact that we're saved by his grace and that it's not of works. Uh, and so he tells us again, if it's by grace, uh, these he said, even so at this present time, there's also a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, uh, and I want to say this, you know, people teach all kinds of strange things from Scripture. This is not some second grace that comes upon people or that, uh, uh, that somehow or another uh, God has a, an elect among the elect. And that's, sometimes that's what people teach. Uh, uh, is that there's an elect people among the elect people that God has chosen uh, that will hear and obey, obey the gospel. That's not what's under consideration here. The 7,000, by the way, never show any form of being obedience uh, 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 other than the fact they didn't bend their knee down to Baal. That's all that's ever said about them, right, in, in Scripture. And he says then, if it's by grace, then it's no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it's no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? 
Israel hath not attained, obtained that which it seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Uh, so now we, get to, now we get to a point here where he's, where he's telling us, Israel has been trying to work their ways towards satisfying, and I don't, I don't believe, maybe in their minds and their hearts, maybe they were trying to uh, you know, do what was right so they could go and be in heaven one of these days. I don't know. But I know they were trying to satisfy the laws of righteousness by their works instead of following after the faith of what God had written in their heart. I do know that. Uh, and he says, uh, Israel hath not obtained that which it seeketh for. Israel, as we've already said over here a moment ago, uh, and I believe this is talking about uh, the elect among, among the children of Israel. Uh, the Israel was trying to, saw, to work out their own righteousness, just as he tells us over here in verse uh, 3 of chapter 10. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So they were, they were trying to work out their own righteousness uh, uh, before God. Um, and he says, uh, But they've not obtained that which they seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. God's sovereign work of choosing a people and the righteousness of Jesus Christ on the cross and Christ's imputed righteousness to you and me has worked out all these things that they're trying to work out themselves. It's the grace of God working in their lives. But he says, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. He begins to teach, and that word blinded, if you look over your center of column reference, it means hardened. Uh, and I look on this hardening that, uh, that uh, and I want to say this, it's not just some arbitrarily arbitrary hardening. It's not just some arbitrary blinding. Uh, you, know why, you know why many of the children of Israel were blinded so that they couldn't see? that G And I'm talking about people that were elect of God, but were blinded so that they could not see that Jesus was the Christ. You know why? Because they constantly rebelled against God. They, they, denied his, they denied his prophets, they denied his uh, Savior, they denied his Son, they denied his apostles. And because of that, God placed a judgment upon them. <clears throat> God, and and we'll, I think we'll see that as we go through this, that it was a judgment given on them by God because of their rebellion, just like, and I think that this ties in very well, as you'll see as we go on through this, you know what the, uh, the judgment of God was on the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt? You know what it was. Uh, they had crossed the Red Sea. They were uh, on their way to Canaan's land, but they didn't enter into Canaan's land. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews the reason they didn't enter in was unbelief. They didn't believe God. I'm not saying they didn't believe in God. I think they did. Uh, but they didn't believe God would give them the land, and so their faith was not in God, was not what it should have been. And because their faith was not what it should have been, God told them that day, okay, you don't want to believe what I'm telling you is true, then I'll let you go wander in the wilderness uh, uh, for 40 years. Uh, you don't want to believe that my son is Jesus Christ and that I sent him into the world to save uh, people. And we're not talking again about people that are not the elect of God. We're talking about people that are elect of God that chose not to believe in Christ as their Savior. And God says, you know what? I'll blind you. And you'll not enjoy the fruits of my kingdom in this world between now 
between now and whenever, okay? And so uh, the election hath obtained it, those of God's people that, uh, that uh, God had reserved to him, uh, uh, had received it, but he says the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, uh, and ears that they should not hear, Unto this day, you want to go read the read the reference on that. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter twenty nine, and I'm going and I'm going to real quick just because I think it's uh, important to see the exact point uh, that was being made here. There, the children of Israel are have come out have come out of the uh, have come out of the forty years. They're about to go over into Canaan's land, and Moses is once again reading, reading them the riot act, if you will. He's reading them, uh, telling them about the laws of God and what they need, need to be doing. But listen, to these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded to Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. And Moses called unto Israel and said unto them, Ye have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, unto Pharaoh and unto all of his servants and unto all his land, the great temptations which thine eyes have seen, the signs and those great miracles. Yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. God, God blinded them to the great things of himself because of their rebellion. And that's the reason they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, many, uh, many of God's children uh, are blinded uh, because of their own rebellion against him. And so he says, according as it is written, God hath not given them the spirit, hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith... Let their table be made a snare. Now that's over in the in the book of Psalms. Then uh, David says, "Let their table be made a snare, and the and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense uh, unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see, and bow down their back alway." I say, then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Now here's here's the here's kind of the here so. He starts out the chapter by saying, Hath God cast away his people? He says, No. The answer to that is no. God has a people reserved unto himself. Uh, and he goes on down through that. And then he gets to say, But they've stumbled. That's the exact same thing he said at the end of the ninth chapter uh, of the book of Romans. They stumbled at the stumbling stone. And he, then he asked the question, I say then, Have they stumbled that they should fall? <laughs> and he answers, God forbid, they've not fallen totally away from the loving, caring, kind protection of God, okay? But rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Here we are to that word again. God is using their fall and their stumbling to bring the Gentiles in that he might provoke the children of Israel to jealousy. Now, so, so I've got to, I've got to just pause here for a moment, and make because there's a lot. What we're about to get into with this olive tree, there's a lot of things taught about this olive tree that are totally false, <laughs> and and there's things about the lesson here that are being taught in the eleventh chapter of the book of Romans that are totally false. So, a lot of people look at this, and even though Paul himself says the children of Israel did not fall away, God forbid that, they, that they're stumbling, that they fall, 
A lot of people would turn right over here to the example of the olive, olive tree where God broke off the natural branches. And I have actually heard people say, God broke off the natural branches of Israel, in other words, and removed them from what they quote-unquote call salvation and grafted in the wild olive branches into this tree, which is the Gentiles, and he grafted them into salvation. Wrong. <laughs> That's not even what Paul teaches here, and it's not what he says. It's a, I mean, when you, when you go to that extreme of saying God broke off natural Israel and re, kind of removed them from salvation, and he uh, grafted in, he grafted the Gentiles into salvation, you've missed the point. God has a people that he's written their laws in their hearts and in their mind. And what, you, know what the, you know what the Gentiles had been missing all these years? They had been missing, God had, they had not missed salvation because God had written their law, His laws in their hearts and their minds and they were being obedient even though they didn't have the law. They were still being obedient to the righteousness of faith which God had placed down inside of them, okay? But you know what they missed? They missed the close fellowship and the loving, caring protection of God. That's what they missed all those years. And so, but Israel had it. Israel had it. And blew it. <laughs> they, they had the close fellowship with God. They had a place where they could go uh, in the wilderness. They had a tabernacle where they could see God's presence coming down and sitting on that tabernacle as fire upon the, on the, uh, on the tabernacle and the priest and Moses going in and being in the presence of God, uh, so to speak, and their face coming out aglow so much that it was shining with the Shekinah glory of God upon them and the temple they had the temple in Jerusalem where they could go and the priest would go in and make sacrifice yearly they had God with them okay God was with them and they totally ignored it if you will they they they, they rejected it in a sense and they turned after and worshiped false gods and false things and you and I my friends today we have a place we have a throne of grace where we can go and bow down and pray to God we have a church where we can come together and worship God and God has blessed us abundantly do you take it for granted like the children of Israel did if you do, he tells you what, what God may very well do to us, okay? Uh, so he goes on, he says, Have they not, uh, verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles. Uh, it doesn't mean that, uh, that they had never been saved before, but the knowledge of salvation had now come to them, and who it was that saved them had come to them through the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. <clears throat> for I speak to you Gentiles. Now, Paul turns around and says, I'm addressing you guys. I've been talking to the Jews. Now I'm going to turn around and talk to y'all. Uh, for I speak unto you Gentiles and as much as I'm an apostle of the Gentiles... Yeah, I, I kind of magnify my office, but that's what God said, okay? <laughs> that he was an apostle to the Gentiles. For if he says, if by any means I may provoke to emulation, uh, you know what it means to emulate somebody? 
That means to there's an emulation or an imitation of them of somebody else. He says, "If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are of my flesh, talking about his natural kinsmen, and might save some of them." Paul wasn't concerned about saving them from eternal wrath and woe and torment. He was concerned about saving them from their ignorance and their ashamedness of the Savior Jesus Christ. He says, I want you Gentiles to provoke these Jews to emulate you and be like you are. He says, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be? but life from the dead. <laughs> if the Jews would come back to see that Jesus Christ is their Savior, he said it'd just like, be just like a resurrection. It'd be just like a resurrection from the dead. It'd be like life from the dead for them to suddenly see what God has done for them too. <laughs> and he says, uh, for if the first fruit be holy. Boy, this, there's something here, and I will, I, will, I will have to bring it to a close today, okay? But there's something here I want you to see and meditate on, on the next, in the next week or so. He says, If the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches holy. If you miss this point of what Paul is saying here, of when he says he broke off the natural branches... Those natural branches were holy. They were holy branches. God broke off holy branches. Why did he break them off? Because of their unbelief. The same reason the children of Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness instead of going straight on into Canaan's land, unbelief is the same reason he broke off those holy branches and grafted in the, the wild branches the Gentiles, and you know what? And I, I was re and and he grafted in those wild branches. And you know why he grafted them in? So that they'd bring forth fruit. They were holy branches too, but they weren't enjoying the the root. The root was holy, and they weren't enjoying the fullness of the root. Root, but God grafted them in so that they could bring forth fruit. That isn't that the message of Jesus Christ that we're to be bringing forth fruit. That that the message of the Apostle Paul we're to be bringing forth fruit. That's what God's children are to be doing. All right, so we'll stop there, uh, and and let you, and just let you look at this over the next week or so. And remember, the branches that were broken off were holy branches, and if you miss that. You miss part of the great lesson of what Paul is teaching here, that they can be broken off, wild branches grafted in. If the wild branches get into unbelief, they can be broken off and the natural branches grafted back in. We're not talking about being grafted into salvation. We're talking about being grafted into gospel belief and following after Jesus Christ in righteousness of faith. May God bless you through the coming week. I hope you're blessed by these studies and learn what God's word truly says. May God bless you is our prayer.